CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. From his prison cell, a convicted serial killer has spent the last three decades trying to clear his name. Danielle Jolivet says he is an innocent man and he claims he can prove it. Jean-Vierre Beauchemin goes inside a Quebec prison and reveals the compelling evidence and why it has sparked calls for an overhaul of the way Canada reviews possible wrongful convictions. A brutal crime. Four people shot dead in Brassard, Quebec over 30 years ago. Police investigators believe the quadruple killings were part of an underworld settling of accounts, possibly linked to the drug trade. The bodies of a man and two women were found in a first floor apartment. Another man was dead on the sixth floor. All have been shot to death. The investigation took less than a week. No murder weapon found, no fingerprints or DNA connecting the suspect to the victims. Then a conviction, mainly based on the testimony of one informant with a dark criminal record. Danielle Jolivet, guilty of four murders at the age of 35. I've been incarcerated since November 14, 1992. I never got out since then. Over 30 years. For his first English broadcast interview, W5 went inside this Quebec prison. Bonjour, ça va bien? Oui. Il fait beau au moins. Oh, finally. It's a nice bit of sunshine. Outside. You've got a bit of sunshine here. Yes. Why do you want the whole of Canada to hear your story? Because I want them to know that I'm innocent and I've been incarcerated for the over 30 years right now. Because it can happen to them, it can happen to their son, their, 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 their family, their brothers. I'm not the first one and I won't be the last one. Danielle grew up on the streets of Point St. Charles. It's a poor neighborhood of Montreal, you know. My friends, the people that I got closer to, they were criminal. So, hey, I was in that world so when I was 12 years old, so I, so I was stealing apples and oranges because my mother didn't have money to buy us that. What well, then tell me about your criminal record. You do have a, a lengthy criminal record. Yes, selling yeah. stolen properties, credit cards. I stole credit cards there in the mail, you know before they were delivered to people, you know, things like that. Uh, that's it. You see, I was a, a criminal, but uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't hurt nobody like it. I never go to steal into people's house, you know? I never did that. Danielle went to juvenile detention at the age of 14 for theft. At 18, he was sentenced to three years in prison for robbery. He was in jail at least four times before he was charged with four murders at the age of 35. I had a criminal mind. I say that now, I, uh, I'm not laughing about that. I wasn't uh, the kind of person that goes to church every day. I steal things and I sell things, you know. Yeah, I was doing uh, things, yeah, but I never killed nobody. In November of 1992, Danielle got caught up in a crime that would change his life. 
The victims were François Leblanc and Denis Lemieux, both drug dealers and friends of Jolivet's. Two young women were also killed. Danielle Jolivet lost saw Leblanc and Lemieux hours before they were found dead. You say when you left them, they were alive? Yes. You find out that yes. these people you had seen yes. hours before. Yes, the night before. The night before. Yes. Are dead. Yes. I just want to know what you were thinking at that point. I'm thinking there's something wrong, there's something happened, they got killed, there, uh, something happened very bad. You know, those people, they were doing bad things. But did you think you could be a suspect? Not at all, they were my friend. I never, never, I never, never, by Denis dying, I lose my big, big contact for doing my big things. Here's Danielle's version of events leading up to the killings. On November 9th, he met with this group of men, all had a criminal past. This included Claude Riendo, a disgraced former police officer with an extensive criminal record. Riendo owed Lemur $8,000 and was planning a theft to make up the debt. Danielle had machine guns that could be used in the robbery. And then he says they parted ways. When do you know that police believe you committed these murders? November 14, 1992, when I got arrested. Uh, Quebec uh, and the SWAT team, they broke the, the window of my, my vehicle and uh, they say, you move, you're dead. I told him, I, I didn't kill those people, they were my friend, you know? Claude Riendo would then play a key role in Danielle's conviction. He called police to tell them he met Danielle at a Montreal restaurant the morning the bodies were discovered, a time when Danielle says he was buying a gold necklace at a jewelry shop. He was the snitch, the main witness against Daniel Jolivet. He testified basically that uh, Jolivet uh, confessed to the murders to him the next morning. Since 2002, Lida Noray has tirelessly fought for Daniel's innocence. So we're on the main street, Saint Laurent. That's the street where the murders happened. 30 years ago, the building 8145 was a high-end apartment building. Two of the victims were Danielle's friends, and they used to live here. I wanted to come and see the feeling of it. She first came across Danielle's file in law school. In 2002, when I was a student, I had received a letter from Danielle. What interested you in that letter? That he's searching for even students to help him in his fight for justice. Now Lida is a lawyer and the president of Project Innocence Quebec. She remembers meeting Danielle for the first time. Give me a sense of what that meeting was like. It was the first time I went to a prison. He's there and he doesn't stop talking. He's just you know, rants his story, has so much information to tell us. Um, I'm pretty sure it was like an hour. It flew. And then he left. And you hear the prison doors hitting. I had shivers going up my spine. And him saying, bye. And then you go outside and the doors open and you have a gush of like fresh air. At that moment, I knew I was working on the wrongful conviction files. Before Lida, Danielle's legal path was rocky. At his first trial, Danielle never took the stand in his own defense. He was convicted in 1994. 
He appealed on a technicality, arguing the trial was unfair because the Crown dropped a witness at the 11th hour. He won, but two years later, the Supreme Court of Canada overturned that decision, leaving Danielle behind bars. And the first aspect of Danielle's case that stood out to Lida was that there was no factual evidence that tied him to the crime scene. Was there physical evidence, DNA evidence that could have been presented at trial here that would have shown that Jolivet is innocent, perhaps? There was an absence of evidence in the sense that they compared the DNA and the prints with Daniel Jolivet and it was negative. But they did not compare it with anyone else. It's like when you come to a crime scene and you analyze the crime scene already knowing your culprits. Danielle and Lida have spent 20 years unearthing every shred of evidence. He has worked in his file day in, day out, nonstop since the beginning. From behind bars, Danielle wrote over 100 letters requesting government information. He was writing everywhere asking for disclosure, and uh, he received disclosure, and he received important information that was helpful. So what's in these binders? More information that Danielle collected? Exactly. In here, it's all the requests that he did to ask for disclosure. Whenever Danielle writes a letter, he sends me a copy. And you have how many of these boxes? Uh, I have uh, over 50 boxes of Danielle. So that includes evidence, letters, uh, jurisprudence from all the procedures we had, so everything. They found police files, including witness statements that were never disclosed and cell phone call logs, all buried evidence. So what's on this piece of paper? So this is a map that Danielle did from... The map plots where the calls came from, showing Danielle's whereabouts before and after the murders. It's to show that he wasn't at the restaurant. It also shows that at the moment of the murders, he wasn't there. Danielle also spent months creating a detailed timeline on craft paper in his prison cell. A timeline on the 9th and the 10th, okay? So you have the different hours on top, and you have the different people. So at what time, what each person was doing with their phones, and what tower was capping it. They unraveled boxes of hidden documents that didn't surface until Danielle had spent 24 years in jail. Is it usually difficult to have full disclosure from the Crown? It's not supposed to be hard like this. It shouldn't be where 30 years later, I still doubt that I've had all the evidence in our possession. You still doubt? I still doubt. There's still elements that I know exist, and I haven't gotten. Coming up. I promised David I'd get this done. I will get this done. A family fights to learn the truth. I want him to get out. When W5 continues. Yann Mada holds on to memories of his stepfather, Daniel Jolivet. This is uh, in prison. In prison? Yeah, in prison. It's a picture from Daniel. Uh, in prison? In prison, in his uh, cell. 
I, I go see him there, 13 hour bus. Wow. Yeah, it was a big ride. I remember that. Jan was just 15 when Danielle was arrested for four murders in 1992 in Brossard, Quebec. What do you remember of that day when Danielle was arrested? A bad day, very bad day. I remember my mother on the street. It was snowing, my mother without shoes outside. Uh, I saw like a five, six car, uh, a cop's car. And, uh, and the lights? The lights and everything. And that day, they, they, they took my father and my family, everything. Yeah. They changed my life and his life. Everybody pay for this. And we pay for 30 years. My mother has died and everything. It thrust Yan into an all too familiar cycle. I think about the stigma. You say people were like, you were the son of a killer. That's it. It's everybody judged for nothing, eh? That's, that's, how the, that's how the world goes. Because at 15 years old, you do what you can to live. and survive. To survive. And, and I was living in Pointe Saint-Charles, and that, that's the thing was offered to me. It's, it's, it's the criminal life. In Laval, Quebec, at this medium security prison, Daniel Jolivet's life has been on hold for 30 years. He's felt the system has treated him unfairly since the day of his arrest. They put me naked, kind of, just my shorts. I was in a wooden chair, and he was uh, pressing his, his foot on my, uh, on my uh, genitals and uh, whatever, everything there, you know? I said, you can beat me. I'm innocent. I didn't kill nobody. Look at my file, me. I'm just a crook, you know? All he's seen for three decades are the walls and bars of six prisons, a true life sentence he's tried to escape. In 1993, he tried to break out of Orsainville, falling from the roof and damaging his spine. And more than half of his time behind bars has been at Parc Cartier with Canada's most notorious killers, including Paul Bernardo, Robert Picton, and Luca Magnotta. So, after all this, yes. you know, why do you deserve a new trial? Because all the new evidence there that were found there, that were hidden, shows that, first, I was not on the crime scene when the crime occurred, that first thing. Second thing, I've been wrongfully accused. I was wrongfully processed. His lawyer, Lida Noré, has been trying to get his file back into court with the evidence that was withheld that I have in my possession today, I would have asked so many other questions. I would have heard so many other witnesses. Danielle would have testified. It wouldn't have been the trial that happened in 1994. I'm very lucky to have that woman. She kept on with me because she knows I'm innocent, you know? I'm sorry, when I... When I talk to the girl, I don't know how to do it all the time. This woman, she has a big heart, this woman. She's got a big heart, you say? Oh, yes, yes ma'am, she does. Lida has submitted hundreds of pages and new evidence four times to the group that reviews wrongful conviction applications. They've rejected the case three times with the last submission still pending. 
What new evidence have you presented? There was um, information on call logs. We also submitted police notes that we never received that contradicts um, witnesses that were heard on uh, the testimony of Riendo. There was 37 declarations in the whole file that was never disclosed to the defense. And even though it's not admissible in court, Danielle took a polygraph or a lie detector test. No. Which he passed. We reached out to both the current and former director of the Criminal Convictions Review Group, asking for comment in Daniel Jolivet's case. This is part of the response. We cannot comment on specific cases due to privacy concerns. If there's no basis to conclude that a miscarriage of justice likely occurred, the applicant is informed that their application will not proceed. Harry Laforme is beyond frustrated with the system. I'd say it's a complete failure. Our system, wrongfully convicted, do not have a chance in this country, except if you're lucky. Laforme is a lawyer, former Ontario Court of Appeal Justice, and the author of a report commissioned by the Justice Minister. It calls for a complete overhaul of the current system. It's the same process that put them in there, and they gotta ask the same process that put them in there to show mercy. And that, that doesn't work. That process led by the Criminal Conviction Review Group has only ordered 20 new trials or appeals in 20 years. All men, all white except for one indigenous person and one black person, no women. And uh, I'd say if you're looking at that as a process to address a wrongful conviction or address miscarriages of justice, then I would say that's a miserable failure. By contrast, in a shorter time frame, Scotland, a country one-seventh the size of Canada, has referred 85 convictions back to the court. And a 2014 study in the United States reports that at least 4% of defendants sentenced to death are later proven innocent. You need a commission that is made up of the proper people and goes to the prisons and in languages that they understand, indigenous languages, for example, or Spanish or, or, or Chinese, whatever. And you go out and you tell them, we need to hear from you if you think you're wrongfully convicted. If you do this thing half-assed, you, you, I don't know if you're going to even do as well as this current commission does. Since 1993, Canada has only exonerated 24 people, so few that some have become household names. Guy Paul Morin, Stephen Truscott, and David Milgard who spent 23 years in prison for murder before freedom in 1997. How's it feel, David? Pretty good to be out forever, right? <laughs> that's, uh, that's all I'm really saying, so... Uh... A passionate advocate for the wrongfully convicted, he contributed to Laforme's report. He believed this, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. And he fought for that. Canada's Justice Minister David Lametti met Milgard in 2022 and made it a priority to change the system dealing with wrongful convictions. I pushed hard to get this into my mandate letter. I, I promised David I would get this done. I will get this done. 
Implementing a new commission would be a game-changer for those who believe they're innocent. They get into a, a place in prison where they have to admit their guilt if they want to get out on parole. They don't because they, they're not guilty. And so they're in this catch-22 where they continue to stay in prison because they, they, they're maintaining their innocence and that impedes them from getting parole. We've been looking into the case of Daniel Jolivet, who's in prison. He's been there for 30 years on four murder convictions. There has been some new evidence presented in the case. Would this commission be something that would give him a better chance at having a review? I'm not going to speak to the specifics of a case, but in principle, it should be faster. It should be more accessible. For Danielle's stepson, Jan, time is running out. How many years till he have? I don't know. Not a lot. I want him to get out. Too. I want to have a, a life with my father the rest of his life. You know, me, I, I'm scared for a call from the prison. My father is dead. That's what I'm scared. I'm going on 66 years old my next birthday. I lost over 30 years of my life. It doesn't come back. Every second that passes, it's over for me. They don't say, if you get out, they all, <laughs> I'm sorry, they say, when you get out, you'll see it changed a lot. You know, it's not like it used to be. While the Justice Minister commissioned the report, which is calling for an overhaul of how Canada reviews convictions, the recommendations in that report have been sitting on his desk since 2021. You've been listening to CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes.